Well, I want to wish you a new year, Christ Journey 2018. My name is Ryan. I'm your Coral Gables Campus Cancer, and I'm so glad to see all of you here today. Thank you, Jenny, for giving me a first. I've never been called a cancer before, so I was really glad to begin my new year with a first to something, but we are so glad to see every single one of you, and I definitely want to greet you today in the spirit of peace and hope, and pray God's grace and peace on you as you begin your 2018 at the Reed home, in about 13 days, we'll be experiencing something new in our family with the birth of our third child. So we feel, uh, feel excited and we feel a bit nervous. We feel like we're standing right on the edge of chaos as we transition from man to man to zone defense. So pray for us with our kids because the whole, the whole playbook is changing now. Whole thing is changing. But, uh, but a new year, a new love. For me, a new year, a new what for you? A new year, a new what for you? That question must raise all sorts of anticipation from within you. Good, exciting, maybe, maybe a bit anxious, maybe, maybe a bit nervous about some of the decisions you'll be making this new year. But a new, a new year, a new what for you? You know, though new years bring new beginnings, I, I really think that most new years bring a lot of the same old. Right, would you not agree? I think a lot of the same old just happens to, in a new year. You know, about week two in January, most, uh, most diets have ended. Mine has already ended. Um, and, uh, and we just bring in the same old into the new year. You know, the, the same old relationship, different girl. The same old dead end, different job. Same old dashed hopes, different experience. It's just the same old. Right? The same old coming in again and again and again. You know, singer-songwriter John Foreman put it like this. Is this a new year or just another desperation? I feel that. Is this a new year for you or just another desperation? Will this be a new year of new beginnings for you, of, of new changes? Or will it just be the same desperations coming back? again and again and again in various forms. What will this be for you? How will you make decisions differently this year than previous years so the same desperations don't keep coming back again and again and again? The Apostle Paul, in one of his earliest letters written in the New Testament, his letter to the church in Galatia, put a charge a practical, concrete charge at the end of his letter to that church in Galatia that I think can help us reframe our focus from it being the same desperations coming back again and again to a new year with new beginnings, with new decisions. And he put it like this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest the decay and death from that sinful nature. But those of you who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good for at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we what? If we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Unlike the great city of Ephesus, the crown jewel city in Asia Minor, in a letter we studied a couple of months ago in our series, Culture Splash, I highly committed to you one of the best series of 2017. Unlike that great city, the city to, to the, Gala uh, the Galatia, the people to whom Paul wrote this letter were roughneck, 
farmer hill people living in the northern region of Asia Minor. It was the polar opposite from Ephesus. In fact, in the first and second century BC, the predominant population of that part of the region shifted dramatically when the Celtic people migrated there. Those are my people, the Celtic people. They, they came from, uh, from some wars and some famines happening in the Celtic part of the world, so they migrated over to Asia Minor. The Celtic lands of the red-bearded, handsome warriors started populating the Galatian region. I mean, these, how often do we get to celebrate the Irish heritage, right? How often do we get to do that, really? Unless you eat a French fry, eat a potato, not very often, but those were my people. In fact, just to give you a little bit of history into my background, my last name, Reed, is Gaelic for red. Couldn't believe that. And then, uh, and then but on my mom's side, Kelly is Gaelic for caliph, which literally means strife. Literally, that's my family name, strife. Red and strife. It doesn't get more Irish than that, I mean, I'm telling you. But those are my people. And the Celtic people prided themselves on their warring culture, their agricultural prowess. These people were not a cosmopolitan refined people. They were the people of the land. They were brutish. And in the couple of decades after Jesus's resurrection, they faced a particular problem because the Jewish leaders of certain factions in the northern hill country of Galatia were telling them that in order to follow this new movement called the way, started by this rabbi named Jesus, in order to do that, you needed to also obey all of the commandments of the law and be circumcised. Which if you tell a Celtic Galatian farmer warrior that in order to be a part of something, you got to be circumcised. Like, I don't think that's, that's the best evangelism strategy to build your church. In fact, none of them were converting over to it. And so not only were they, not only were they not going, uh, becoming part of the church in Galatia, but the people in that region were teaching uh, a false teaching of Jesus. And so Paul's concluding letter, Paul's concluding uh, words in this letter to the Galatians directly opposed those teachings by bringing together the true teachings of Jesus, of the cross and the resurrection and how that actually transforms life. And Paul did so in the most fascinating way, in the most fascinating way. He took language of the land, sowing and reaping and directly connected it to decision-making in Jesus Christ. Do you think that, that the people of the, of the land, the Galatian people then, the Celtic Galatians, understood the imagery of the land in their decision-making with Jesus Christ? Absolutely. For the Galatian people, these images conjured up everyday life for them. And Paul strategically used this language to convey an absolutely essential idea about decision-making and Jesus Christ. And for those of us now who may be disconnected from the land, if we have ears to hear how Paul unpacks this, then it may very well change how we make decisions today. Almost 2,000 years later, my great-grandfather, Ashford Broadwater, whose, uh, whose own lineage stems back to this ancient Celtic line, knew well the significance of sowing and reaping. As a young boy, he taught me more about decision-making and more about manhood in the garden than he ever did with his words, ever. Through my high school years, 
when he passed away, I visited with him often. He reminded me of an old rugged cowboy, earthy, wrinkled from decades, working the land underneath the sun. He was larger than life for me. In fact, he was even recruited to play professional football with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he declined because he wanted to build a family and a garden. I helped him in the garden in exchange for pool lessons. He taught me how to hustle. He taught me how to, how to read the seasons. He taught me how to, how to nourish the ground and how to pay attention to the vegetation and to the crops in the garden and to give them what they needed to thrive. It was hard and it was long and it was tedious and it was hot, but very intentional work. For my generation, for the millennial generation in particular, farming and gardening has become a novelty. It's a, it's a buzzword. Now, when you go to a restaurant, you hear farm fresh to table. What does that even mean? You know, like, like we're so disconnected from this way of life. But for my great grandfather, as well as for the church in Galatia, stewarding the land was a way of life that required literal blood, literal sweat, literal, literal time and ache and pouring over the land and breaking your body for the land. It was repetitive and it was difficult and it was common and it was hard and it was absolutely necessary for survival, absolutely necessary for survival. And it was to these Celtic Galatian warring farmers that Paul wrote the concluding words to his letter that said, you cannot mock the justice of God. You can't mock it. You will always harvest what you plant. When you tell a farmer that you will always harvest what you plant, he says, of course, of course, I will always harvest what I plant. If I plant something here, then I can count on it to sprout up. You will always harvest what you plant, Paul says. And then he says this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest will harvest. This is a promise. This is a logical conclusion to what it means to sow. You will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Though it's backbreaking work and those sweat's going to drip and your clothes are going to stain and your skin's going to get burned, do not grow tired of doing this work. Do not give up. Do not give in for at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. A farmer knows what it means not to give up because when they plant, when they're tilling, when they're sowing, and then when they're working it and the plants aren't growing in the same way that they anticipated for whatever reason, they don't give up for they know that one day a harvest will come. Do you think that Paul's closing charge in this letter resonated with these Celtic Galatians? Absolutely resonated with them. It absolutely did. We tend to read this stuff and other images like it as a storybook with images of corn stalk off to the side. And, and we, we treat it like it's a children's story. But for these Celtic Galatians, for my great-grandfather, even for some of you who knows what it means to till the land, this was for their very survival. Their very survival. Paul's concluding words to the church in Galatia connected their obedient decision-making in Christ with their very survival, not just their contentment, not just their satisfaction, but with their survival, their soul's 
survival. Your decisions now matter for your soul's survival. They matter forever. They matter for your soul's survival. You are sowing into your life right now seeds that will either produce death and decay or will produce everlasting life right now. And not just faith seeds, every seed, every decision is either sowing into a life full of decay or full of abundance. Every seed that you sow, your faithful, healthy decision-making requires getting your hands dirty into the earthiness of your decisions, into the everyday practicality of what your decisions mean. Here at, at church, if you're here at church day for the very first time, perhaps as a guest, perhaps someone invited you, or maybe you made a resolution this year to try to get back into church, then I want to welcome you. And I want to tell you that you are sowing good seeds into a life that pleases the spirit this year but you also do these things at work. You do these things with your family, with your friendships, with your relationships, with yourself. Every decision that you make is either sowing seeds that please the spirit or are sowing seeds into decay. And we've all experienced that part of it as well. Decayed relationships, decayed work, decayed family, a decayed sense of self, a decayed whatever, but you are sowing seeds into either decay and death or life. Do you make decisions? Are your decisions made about your faith and your legacy and your life? Are you making decisions with that sense of urgency? Because Paul here is linking it to our very survival. At the time in which Paul wrote this letter, sowing and reaping mattered for survival. And our perspective is, has become so far removed from that. You and I, we can, we can literally go to the grocery store every single day of the year and almost every grocery store in this country, every single day of the year, we can buy avocados. Can you believe that? We can make fresh guacamole every single day. I mean, it's a wonder. It's, it's almost a miracle because a hundred years ago, we couldn't do that, but we can do that now. And it's amazing. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for fresh guacamole and, and avocados every single day of the year. But because of that, we've become so disconnected from this type of imagery and this type of metaphor from scripture. It's, we've become disconnected from this being our, our survival. It's not anymore. Thank God for that. But here Paul's bringing it to that. It meant sowing and reaping meant life or death. It literally meant health and prosperity. And Paul is emphasizing here that your decisions mean the very same Thing. And depending on what you prioritize will determine whether or not you experience death and decay or everlasting life beginning right now, this very day. Not from the moment you pass away, but right now. Life right now. Satisfaction and abundance right now. That's why Paul states, no one can mock the justice of God. A seed yields a crop. Spirit-led decisions yield life. And self-made decisions for our own agendas, they, they lead into decay. This isn't rocket science. It's not right. It's farming <laughs> at the end of the day. It's farming. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's just farming. It's just the rhythms of life. You know, my great grandmother, Tilly, on her kitchen counter sat a rhubarb pie 
almost every day that I can remember, a rhubarb pie. Any of you ever eat one of those before? Delicious, rhubarb pie. You don't see those very much anymore in delis, but I'm so grateful that I grew up in a family with a very, very older great-grandmother in her 90s when I was in high school, 90s and beyond, who made these kinds of things, rhubarb pie. And my great-grandfather, in his garden, took me out and he showed me how to plant rhubarb pie on the southwestern corner of his garden. How do I know that? Because he literally took the seeds. He showed me how to plant them. I helped him harvest it. And then of all the plants in his garden, he cared most for the southwestern corner of his garden because he knew that if anything happened to those plants, there would not be the rhubarb pie sitting on his counter. And so for me, if you were to ask him, you know, if you plant rhubarb seeds, what do you expect? He would say, well, I expect my rhubarb plants to grow and I expect a rhubarb pie at the end of it. He didn't expect peas or corn to grow. He expected rhubarb pie to grow. Now, why do I tell you that? Because your decisions work in the very same way. Your decisions work the same way. We, we often sow and till certain things into our life and then expect other things to grow. Do you really expect, and just think about this rhetorically, do you really expect gossip to reconcile your relationships and, and broken trust? Do you expect that? Do you really expect rage to convince your partner? Do you really expect that to happen? Do you really think that lying and cheating will open up new opportunities for your career path and for your life and for greater satisfaction? Do you really believe that? Because all of us, including myself, we all do these things. And why do we do these things? We think that at some level, doing those things, sowing those things will yield something good for us. It doesn't. Four times in this passage, four times Paul mentions reaping a future harvest in this passage, four times. This is, this is something that we can count on. A harvest is something that we can count on. And one day a harvest will come for each of us. Now is the time. Now is your year to begin sowing into a life that pleases the spirit. To stop sowing those other things that lead to decay and lead to death and destruction. And we all know those things because we've all experienced those things. Now is the time to begin experiencing life by sowing good seeds because your decisions now, every decision now, every decision matters now for your forever. Every single one of them, not just your faith decisions, every decision, every decision. There's not a, there's not a divide between your decisions in this room and your decisions when you're talking about Jesus and then your decisions out there. It's all one. It's all one life. And these rich images of sowing and reaping connect us into four unique character traits about God that I, I want to lift out for you for just a moment. The first one is this, that we learn here that God is a God of order. God is the God of order. If one cannot plant peas and expect carrots to grow in our natural world, then how can we expect to sow seeds of immorality, of gossip, of lying, of cheating, and expect everlasting life and satisfaction to grow from that? We can't. God is a God of order, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. In the beginning, in the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made order from chaos and desires now to order your world, leading you into a place of peace, saturated with satisfaction. This is a promise for you, for all of us, from John 10, 10 directly, that for those of you who sow seeds into the Spirit, as difficult as it may be, 
as tough as it might be at times to make decisions, especially in the workplace, that sow seeds into a life that pleases the spirit, as difficult as that might be, God promises satisfaction. Truly, truly. What new decisions do you need to make this new year to sow into a life that pleases the spirit, that honors you and your body, that honors those for whom you love and care? What new decisions do you need to make this year? What decisions do you need to stop making this year? Because your decisions have consequences. And yet the second character trait that we see in this passage is that God is also a God of grace. Thank God. God is also a God of grace because you don't have to be the result of your poor decisions. In fact, you are not the result of your poor decisions so long as you place your trust in God. Your decisions don't have to define you. We know that because God made that clear for us on the cross. God made that clear on the cross, that your decisions made in the name of the self, those decisions may very well lead you into a place of decay. It may lead you into a place of destruction, even destruction of your relationships, destruction of work opportunities, whatever that might be for you. But those decisions don't have to define you. They don't. They don't have to define you. They don't have to define your present or your future. In Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, you can make change today and begin sowing a life satisfied in the spirit. You can make that change today. And though real repercussions may still result from your poor decisions, we do live in an ordered world. Those consequences may still be working out for you. Those consequences don't have to define you and they don't have to have the final word over you. The power and the sting out of those decisions can be taken away. And instead, God can give you the courage now, the confidence now, the wisdom and clarity now to begin working through those consequences to lead into new life and even reconciliation if possible. Those decisions don't have to define you. You know, in my great-grandfather's garden, every now and then, he would come to me and say, oh, Ryan, you know, we got bugs in the garden. Or, oh, I just lost this part of my garden because of some kind of infection. But you know what he didn't do? He never let those things bother him. It was, it was really amazing to me. Sometimes he would lose whole swaths of crop, but never seemed to bother him. Instead, he just simply went to those crops, took them out, brought in fresh soil, and started tilling in new fresh soil. Let the Holy Spirit this year do the same thing for you. Let the Holy Spirit begin rooting out the junk from your past the same desperations from your past. Let the Holy Spirit lay some new soil on that heart, some new soil on your soul and start tilling in the good stuff. Let that be your 2018 this year. Make a decision to let that happen and then let God begin to guide you and direct you into your next steps. And here we see that God from that is a God of perseverance. God is the God of person. He's a perseverant God. You know, the gravity of our decision-making will always pull toward the self, always, always. Ah, hope I'm not the only one who feels that. <laughs> Woo. They will always pull toward the self. I mean, my decisions almost naturally will be, how does this benefit Ryan? Almost naturally, it's how it always begins. And then I have to force it to be about something else. Yet faith in Christ is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the very same direction. My great-grandfather, he tilled up that garden almost every single day for 50 years. Can't imagine doing anything for 50 years. But he 
He tilled and sowed in that garden almost every single day, rain or shine, despite how he felt, despite whatever may be coming down on his family, despite how his family may have been falling apart, despite maybe what had been happening at work, what the weather was, how his body felt, he went out there and he tilled it, tilled it, sowed every day because he knew that a harvest would come in that garden if he persevered, if he persevered. That kind of life satisfaction, that kind of life worldview requires day in and day out, day in and day out, sowing and sowing and tilling and tilling for the one day when Christ brings the harvest for you, for your soul survival, for the one day when your sinful nature whispers in your ear, just do it, man. Just do it. Forget, forget about the hard work of doing everything for other people or everything for Jesus. Just do it for yourself. You deserve it. I'm telling you, don't do it. Please don't do it. I can tell you, and I'm sure a lot of you have stories too of doing it. And sin always gets found out. It just has a way of doing that. It's a bummer. But don't do it. Don't do it. Stay faithful and true. God is a persevering God that can give you strength and courage. And God promises to provide it for you as you live in that long obedience in the same direction. Make this your year to discover the rare joy that few find by staying obedient in the same direction. And then last, God is a God of justice. If you plant rhubarb, what are you going to get? You're going to get yourself some rhubarb. You're going to get rhubarb. You can't mock that. You can't mock it. No, we all try. We all make decisions and we all try to steer those decisions in the way we want them to go. We can't sometimes. We can't mock that. In fact, when we do, we end up mocking our created world and most importantly, we end up mocking those closest to us. We mock those closest to us, we mock ourselves when we try to guide and force those things to happen and mock how, things, how these things work. Instead, let the psalmist say this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God is a just God whose act of merciful justice on the cross restored our heart. And his act of gracious love brings it back to life. Your decisions now matter forever. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul to a different church offered four basic questions that apply so well to our decision and a framework for how we can make our decisions. I wish he'd put this in the letter to his Galatian church, but apparently that's not what he needed to write to them at the time. But in his letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote a framework for how we can make decisions in a healthy way. Four questions. The first one is this, is this beneficial? Will this benefit me? Will it benefit my heart? Will it benefit my family, my relationships, my friendships? Will it benefit those around me? Second question, will this master me? Is this addictive? Will this capture my thoughts? Will it capture my heart? Will it prevent me from, from being able to go all in with my walk with Jesus as well as those around me who love me and care for me? Will this honor Christ? Will this bring glory to him and what he did for us on the cross? Will it do that? Or will it take glory away from him and put it on me or something else? Will this cause others to stumble? When other people see this decision, will other people look at me and not see Jesus, but instead see me or see my own efforts or something else that I'm advocating for? 
Anyone can apply these questions to any decision. They can help you think about your decisions with clarity and sensitivity to both your life and the lives of those to whom you love and care. Listen, you control, you control whether or not you sow seeds into a life that pleases the spirit or a life of decay and death. You control that. There are very, very few things in this life we can control. In fact, this may be one of the few things we can control is whether or not you sow into that kind of life, no matter what hurts have been done to you, no matter what hurts you've done to others, no matter what hurts you've done to yourself, those hurts do not define you. If I can just get personal for just a moment, my, uh, I'm one of 42% of all kids who grew up in a home without a father present. 42%. Some of you may have grown up in a home without a father present too. My father left when I was five. He left my whole family. He just made a decision that he no longer wanted to be married or be a dad. And so we left. And the pain of that hurt stayed with me. I mean, it stays with me to this day. I still feel it. But that hurt defined me for more than 20 years. I wanted so much restoration and reconciliation with my dad. I wanted so much to have him call me up on the phone and just be like, hey, you know what? I made a total, a total bad mistake against you. Would you forgive me? Can we, can we restore? I wanted so bad to just do the things that fathers and sons do together. Go to a baseball game, do those kinds of things. And I'm almost 34 and that day has not come. And I don't think it ever will. And for more than 20 years, the pain of that guided almost every decision I made. I thought that the world owed me something. And if I could just get particular, I thought that the church owed me something. I thought my friends, my family, those closest to me owed me something. That once people heard my story and got to know me, then all of a sudden they, they owe something to me now to help me get over that. But in reality, that couldn't have been further from the truth. In reality, that was a lie. And though I've never received that from my father yet, and I probably never will, and he and I won't experience reconciliation on this side of heaven, I am content now. And I am satisfied now because I now know that my forgiveness and my reconciliation came on the cross and I can forgive him for what he did because I have been forgiven. And those pains, though they'll always be with me, I'll always feel it to an extent, they no longer define me. And that, that is good news. That's why we believe what we believe. That's what the cross means. That's what the power of the resurrection did was take away the sting and the pain and the consequence of those decisions to bring life and life satisfaction. And as you begin to sow good seeds into a life that pleases the spirit, whether you've been on the receiving end of it or whether you've been the one who has dealt it, restoration and forgiveness can be possible. True freedom is found when you discover that on the cross, Christ set you free from the power of those hurts and you can make that turn today. You can make that turn today. If those hurts still define you and if they're, 
if you carry them with you in every decision that you make, not just the faith ones, but the family ones, the friend ones, the work ones, the relationship ones, all of them, if you still carry those, then today you can decide in 2018, I'm not carrying that junk anymore. I'm not bringing those desperations into the new year, but instead I want to live free. You can do that. Surely you can with the, wor with the work of the Holy Spirit at work within you, alongside of this church coming alongside of you. There may be a lot of different steps you got to take in order to make that happen, but you can begin that today. You truly can. You truly can. And then become set free and then consider doing the kind of good that transforms over the long term. You know, drive-by blessings, man, they're they're good and they're healthy and they can make you feel good and they can do good in the moment, but do the kind of good that transforms over the long haul in that same obedient direction. You know, a theologian once said this, you are an ancestor to someone yet to come. If you live your life knowing you are an ancestor, that will change the way you make your decisions and live your life. You are an ancestor, every single one of you with a legacy, and you are an ancestor, every single one of you with an eternal destiny no matter how old you may be, and no matter how old you might be or how young you might be, whatever your age, whatever your demographic and social status or whatever, whatever the culture puts value on, whatever that looks like, take that away. All of you have an eternal destiny and a legacy that you're sowing into every day, every day, every day. Exactly one month ago from today, my two kids, Hannah and Levi, they planted some tom tomato seeds into this cup. Exactly one month ago, December 7th. Let me ask you something. What do you see in this cup? Life. Do you see any tomatoes in that cup? No, I don't. No. No tomatoes yet. A month. A month in. And still no tomatoes. A month. And I can tell you, my wife can attest to this, it's been every single day that we've been reminding each other, hey, make sure that you put the tomatoes by the sunlight so that they grow. Hey, make sure you water. I mean, these little tomato plants have taken so much time out of my life this <laughs> la these last four weeks. And do you see any tomatoes? No, not yet. Not yet. One day the future harvest will come and we will all enjoy tomatoes together, but it has not come yet because some decisions take a lifetime to make. Some decisions require daily sowing and daily tilling for the one day when the harvest comes. If I put a few dollar bills in here, will it make it grow? Nope. If you give it an ultimatum to say, hey, grow some tomatoes or I'm gonna to toss you out, will the tomatoes grow? No. The hope comes in the daily sowing and following in that long obedience in the same direction with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 21, Mary went to go find Jesus laid in a tomb, but when she got there, the tomb was empty. So she went back to the disciples. She brought him over and she said, where's the body? But when she got back to the tomb, she saw someone there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him because she thought he was who? The gardener. Jesus longs to do this with you. He longs to sow good seeds into you, to sow and to bring you good life. God, thank you. To the Lord of the harvest, we thank you. God, we thank you for life. God, we thank you 
that you are a God of order. God, we thank you for the promises that you've made to us, that so long as we sow good seeds into good soil, seeds that please the Spirit, then you promise to bring satisfaction and everlasting life. God, thank you for not throwing us away when the disease and the bad bugs got into our lives from our poor decisions. Thank you for not throwing us away, for rooting us out, God, but instead for your grace to come upon us, for your mercy to be with us, to give us new life and to give us new opportunities for new years like this. And so Lord, I ask now that you be with us and you give us courage and confidence to live this way, to make it turn this direction and to sow good seeds that please you. And for those of, for those of you here today who, who want to make that change this new year, who want to follow after Jesus and stop following after your own way and to begin sowing good seeds, then would you pray this prayer with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you, that you never gave up on me. I thank you for your forgiveness. God, and I thank you for your unending grace and mercy on my life. And I understand now what it means to live in that long obedience with you. And I want to join you. If you pray that prayer with me, then would you mind raising your hand just slightly so I can see you and pray a prayer of blessing over you? Thank you to my left, to the center. Thank you to my right. God, thank you for the hands raised. God, thank you for the hearts changed. God, thank you for this church, for this good, faithful, awesome church that you've put into this city to be a light and a witness. And God, I pray that as we, as we turn our attention to our families, to our workplaces, to our friends outside of here, Lord, I pray that you give us the confidence and the clarity and the wisdom to sow good seeds that please you and that bear witness to others so that they too can also experience the same transformation that we've experienced in our life. And so Lord, may it be so this year as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.